Hi, everyone. I'm your host today, Kim Winter, Global CEO of Logistics Executive Group. Thanks for joining us today, and by all means, uh, have a look at Logistics Executive TV and check out the other vodcasts that we're bringing you from business leaders around the world. As business leaders, we've been bombarded throughout the last few months with all this information about new norm, unprecedented times, uncertainties, and what have you moving forward. But how many of us have taken a step back and are really looking at how we're managing stress and helping others to manage stress throughout this period? Today, I'm joined by Matthew Johnson, the Director of uh, Drawn From Experience in Australia. Matt, welcome. You're in Sydney today. Hey, Kim. Yep, I am, and it's winter. <laughs> I think it's pretty cold where you are. Um, Matt, you're, you're passionate about mental health and well-being. You're an, you're an advocate for a range of, uh, of issues sitting all around that subject matter, and you're a very well-known author. You've published sort of nine or ten uh, books on that subject matter, and many of them being uh, bestsellers, both in Australia and globally. Um, you're, we're really pleased to have you on board. I know that you've you've done a lot of work uh, around stress and mental health and related issues over the last decade or two. So thanks for coming on board and why don't you give us a bit of an entree about yourself and your background. Well, uh, thanks and very nice to be here, Kim. Thanks for having me on board. Um, look, uh, that was a nice little intro. And, and look, my company's name is uh, called Drawn From Experience, as you mentioned. And, and literally everything that I do is uh, drawn by my own and or drawn from my life and my company's name could also be called drawn from experts because i'm in a very unique position where i uh, work alongside a lot of um, fabulous fantastic uh, mental health and well-being experts and i basically take complex issues around mental health uh, resilience stress uh, mindfulness um, what have you and, and i turn them into imagery and i think what i've realized and as i get older that uh, adults still love a picture book and they still, you know, and I think really at the end of the day, um, we can actually process an image up to 60,000 times faster uh, than the written word. So, um, and really this all came from, I spent 15 years uh, as a creative in advertising. And, um, and really that was all about how do you communicate simply and effectively. So what I've done is I've combined what I used to do in my job uh, with life experience, but also... Um, not trying to sell cars or, you know, clothes, um, or we're trying to sell uh, ideas on how people can live well. Cool. So, I mean, you've, you've uh, had a, a vast array of experience and you've also been involved in a number of pretty significant crises in the past. I mean, as I recall uh, reading some of your material in your bio, you, you happen to be um, in New York during 9-11. I mean, what was it in, in pretty close to the centre of what was going on? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, that was a bit of a look. We all know uh, what a horrible situation that was, and and that was a bit of a, um, I guess, a tipping point for me. Um, I was a creative director in New York. I was living, you know, the outwardly I was living the life and and doing well and successful, and you know, I was busy and flying everywhere, and uh, inwardly I was falling apart, and I was like a a crapped out old plane that was held together with blue tack and sticky tape and you know I was about to crash any minute and um and but you know because I was a guy because of the industry I was in because of my pride my ego uh, I chose to ignore that and I just kept on going until 9-11 happened and I was 
I found myself a lot from the World Trade Center when it came down. And uh, I was one of those people who was covered from head to foot in ash. And, you know, I, I even remember pulling bits of glass out of my hair. And, and um, so I was there. And, and look, you know, we all know how terrible that is. And we're, we're going through a terrible situation at the moment. But I guess that for me was my real wake-up call that life is very short. And we don't know what's around the corner, which is probably a good thing. But um, that was my real wake-up call because I'd just been sort of peddling water, you know, for years, I think, up until that point. And that made me just sort of, it was, it was like the biggest psychological slap in the face for me, as I think it was for many people, you know. And uh, and it just made me reassess my life and where I was going and how I was living my life. And, and look, it, it didn't happen overnight, but, you know, it's sort of that, that, was the, that was the start of it all, really. I suppose uh, when when I think back, and I think we can all remember where we were when nine eleven happened. It was it was a, a real jolt. It was you know, hold on, this doesn't happen in the world, and and you know, this is New York, and how could this possibly be taking place? I think it sort of tripped things in various people's minds, and you know, all of us to say, well, you know, what is reality? And, and you know, some significant things can happen all of a sudden to change our reality. Uh, I guess if we segue to what's happening with the uh, the current scenario with the pandemic, um, th- this has been even more significant, of course, for more people, uh, a broader effect, a massive impact right across the world, uh, affecting just about everybody in some shape, way or form. Um, yep. what, what are your observations? I mean, you're, you're very connected and, and support a lot of organisations and contribute to a lot of organisations, both from a, um, an industry or, or business perspective, but also from government and, uh, and organisations helping people in the, in the public sphere. Um, what, what are you seeing as some of the most uh, demonstrative effects of what's going on with COVID-19 now in terms of mindset and the way people are reacting and handling things? Yeah, look, I, I think, you know, as we all know, this has been a devastating um, pandemic. Um, I, I heard uh, the other day that there was a great, because, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of this, you know, a lot of Zooming and, and Zoom talks and uh, meetings and everything. And, and uh, you know, this has become the new normal. But I think, you know, uh, Canada did a uh, PR communications around COVID and they said, you know, you're not working from home. Uh, you're actually staying at home because there's a global global pandemic. And I think really, you know, at the beginning of all this, you know, I was I was like many people, I was totally discombobulated. I couldn't be bothered, you know, I was fine. I just felt like I wanted to sleep in the afternoon. And I, and I didn't really know why, you know. I was kind of going, what's going on, you know. And, you know, trying, we had our kids at home and trying to get them motivated to do online learning, which, you know, isn't, doesn't cut it. You know, my daughter's very creative. She does a lot of art. So, you know, doing art via a laptop doesn't really work. And I think, you know, it... It's been very hard, and I, and I know a lot of people have been really seriously impacted on their businesses, as I'm sure you do, Kim. Um, and I think it, it's it's been a real wake-up call. So, someone said on the radio the other day, it's like we've all been sent to our room to think about the error of our ways. And I think in many ways, you know, on the upside, you know, I, I think, you know, there is some definite downside, and I think we're yet to see the end of it. But I think on the upside, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing a lot about is that people have uh, have been forced to slow down. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't realise how manic they were or how scheduled they were or how much that time they spend in their commute. 
some people I was speaking to a mate the other day and he said he's actually feels more connected than he's been because he's actually been checking in more on a deeper level than he had, which I thought was quite a nice uh, insight. Um, and I think, you know, we as a family, you know, and a lot of friends I know, we, we've uh, been spending a lot less money because, you know, nothing's been open. So we haven't been doing silly materialistic shopping and we haven't been driving our cars, you know. We're, our cars have just been virtually sitting standstill. I've been luckily teaching my daughter how to drive, so at least it's been getting a little bit of work out. But, you know, so, you know, there's been ups and downs. But I, I think, you know, generally I think we all know how bad it is. But I guess this is where we have to really uh, look at what's important and who's important and, and really work on ourselves, you know, because in some ways there is opportunities when there is uh, adversity, I guess. I suppose that's... Um your approach would be fairly indicative of the of the uh, of the Kiwi uh, ingenuity and and finding a way through issues. I think as New Zealanders, we're one of the reputations that we do have, apart from being pretty good at rugby, um, is you know finding ways uh, to to solve problems and work with limited resources to to yeah. achieve some some great outcomes. And it's, there's a, there's a range of Kiwis that are being well known in that sphere. Um, You've done a lot of work, Matt, on stress um, and how to deal with stress. Uh, I've read a couple of your um, publications uh, in prep for this today, which I knew existed, but I hadn't, to be honest, read in detail. I must admit I'm very impressed with the amount of referencing and the amount of work that and scientific reading that you've done in regards to backing up your, your thesis and your stories. Um, tell us a little bit about why... It's so important for us to be keeping tabs on stress and monitoring stress and, and looking at finding ways of dealing with it. What are, what are the issues there? Well, look, I, I, I've had a fair amount of stress in my life, uh, Kim, um, as you can tell by the colour of my hair. <laughs> this is all natural, by the way. It's uh, not out of a bottle. And, uh, and I guess um, I think stress has always been one of those things that people have always, you know, that, that it's kind of like sleep. You know, people don't take it too seriously. And, and I actually have since realized that stress is uh, a very important thing to take very seriously because it's one of the biggest precursors to a significant mental health or physical health issue. Um, and some research was done at Harvard and they said that I think 75 to 90% of visits to the GP, the underlying cause of the majority of those visits is stress. So whether your hair's falling out, whether you're grinding your teeth, whether you've got irritable bowel, whether you've got anxiety or depression or whatever it is, there is a very good likelihood that stress is the underlying uh, culprit in this equation. So last year, um, I joined together with a guy called Dr. Michael Player. And thank you for the uh, saying how much uh, research I've done. It's really mostly his because he's the clinical psychologist. I drew the pictures and uh, wrote some of the stories. But um, so... He's an expert around stress and he's done a lot of uh, work with fly and fly out miners and they're a subset of our society. I'm sure you've got a lot around the uh, UAE, but, um, you know, they're a unique subset of society. So they had their own stresses about being away from home or not melting with a community or uh, sleep deprivation or being underground or whatever it was. And, and so he found a lot of very interesting things around that. So we decided to take his research and what he'd found and then we put it together for a book. Because I think, as I mentioned before, you know, sometimes we just kind of go, we, we, we kind of go, well, I'm busy, I'm stressed, but we don't look at the ramifications and the problems that go with it. So it's, it's really about that. 
And I've been quite surprised how many, uh, how much feedback I've had from this book of people going, I didn't realize how stressed I was. Yeah. Uh, so it's just, um, you know, it's there. And, and, and I guess it's about tapping into that emotional intelligence and realizing what's going on. It's great. I mean, you know, there's, there is a lot of work that you've produced, which is all about solutions. Um, and I think obviously your expertise in artwork and the graphics that you've produced um, is is really great in, in, in making things simple and, and, and observable. Uh, I still recall when you and I got together during the GFC um, about 10 years ago uh, in Sydney mm-hmm. and you, I think at that stage you were doing the artwork for um, The Black Dog, uh, which I think is probably one of your most well-read and highest-selling um, publications. Yeah, I have The Black Dog, yep. Yep. Yeah, yep. Um, and, and I'm not too sure whether you're aware of this, but you actually gave me the original artwork for that um, for that book at the time, and it still is in my Sydney apartment. So um, I'm sure it's going to be worth a lot of money at some point. Yeah, put on eBay, mate. Yeah, but I mean, the the, the black dog is a is a massive piece around um, the acknowledgement and understanding of depression. Um, of the way you brought it to life graphically is is just stunning, um, and you know I've shared the video. I think you've had over ten million views um, on mm. on your video uh, of the black dog, uh, which I think you've uh, worked with the United Nations on and what have you. And I've no, shared. World Health. Sorry. World Health Organization. Yeah, World Health Organization. Sorry. Um, and I've shared that with literally hundreds of people in the last few months to help them deal with just when I picked up that there's a lot of stress and whether it's depression or whether it's 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 uh, other significant manifestations of the anxiety that's taking place I've shared that and, and by the way for the audience if people want to uh to to look at that um by all means we will share the link to that uh, to, to that image and to that video to go out um so the point I'm getting to is Matt, you've you've presented a whole range of graphic images and storylines around dealing with with stress, but you, you you run the whole supply chain and very much focus on the the need for happiness and the ways of dealing with happiness and and manifesting happiness. Tell us why being happy is so important. Well, actually, I reckon to not not to uh, disagree with you, but I, I think uh, happiness is uh, slightly overrated because it's the <laughs> one. Yeah, true core emotion that we uh, actively seek out of all our emotions. And, and I think um, years ago I saw uh, Dr. Martin Seligman speak, and he's, the, he's a psychologist and, um, and he is the founding father of positive psychology. And he, you know, it's quite funny because he actually said himself that he's quite a grumpy old bastard. And, uh, but he said, you know, happiness is like a cat. You know, it's like you can call it as much as you like, but it won't come to you. Uh, but sometimes it drops into your lap unannounced, only to go away as quickly as it's landed. And I think, you know, happiness, we're always seeking, uh, you know, everyone wants to be happy, you know, that's just natural and, and you know, so do I. But I think it, it is fleeting and, and I think um, what I really believe in and what, you know, uh, Dr. Sullivan also believes in is well-being. And I think well-being is something that we can uh, all work towards, you know, and, and there's no quick potpourri uh, remedy towards, you know, um, having well-being in our lives, but there's a series of things that we can do uh, that can bring about well-being. So, you know, people 
Uh, you can be in a wheelchair and have well-being. You can be uh, have cancer and have well-being. You can be, uh, you know, um, all sorts of myriads of problems and, and still live with well-being. But I guess, uh, and that's what a lot of people don't look for, and they're always kind of complaining about the now and always hoping that there's going to be a better there, you know, when really all we have right now is what's going on for us right this moment. Okay. I don't know, does that make sense? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I hear I hear what you're saying, and you know, I, I appreciate you sharing some of these insights with, with the audience because, you know, from what I can see, you know, anxiety and, and, and the level of stress is 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 way up in a lot of places um, yep. around the world. And I think we you, you reflected back before that men pretty much have a much greater problem sharing their emotions and, and identifying what's going on than women. I think most men would acknowledge that and certainly women would be aware of it as well. Uh, I, I, recall, I recall, I don't know when it was, but it been over 10 years ago, Australia was in a drought, as I recall, fairly substantial drought. And um, you were at the time um, on the speaking circuit, mainly in the big cities with big companies and what have you. and and Correct me if I'm wrong, but as I recall it, you went, you decided to go out to the, the regions and to the country in Australia, bearing in mind Australia is a very big country, about the same size as the US, but only about 25 million people or so. Um, yeah. And you wanted to reach out because there was a, a lot of talk about um, serious uh, mental health issues with the farming community and the rural community yeah. because they were under drought. There was a lot of hassle going on and financially and one thing and another and I think you, you said at the time you went out there and you expected to go to a school hall somewhere and you know it was it could hold about 50 people and that you, you turned up to give a speech and weren't holding up, out much expectation that it was going to be much of a big thing but as I recall at the time and it was in the media hundreds and hundreds of people turned up from yeah. that region um, and, and the stories, you were there for, for days, as I recall it, um, because people had finally reached the point where, you know, families were reaching out to farmers who were close to suicide, and there had been a lot of suicides in Australia at that time in the rural community, um, and you, you found it was a tipping point. Talk to us a little bit about that experience and, and what that really, you know, triggered inside of you in terms of your thinking this whole issue. Well, look, my, my dad was a farmer. And he was a very much a steak and four veg kind of guy, and uh, and he was a great storyteller. And but he had no insight into his own condition, and he had no understanding of how to articulate what might be going from it. And I think that's just not farmers; it's it's you know a lot of men in general. And I think you know one of the problems with farming um, is that not only isolated by the land, but they're also isolated by the culture. So it's, you know, farmers, I, I love, you know, because I grew up so often and, you know, and so much of my childhood in New Zealand uh, going to farms on holidays and stuff, I've always got, I've got a real affinity with the land and, and, uh, and so that's why I like working with them. And, and I think they're in a very difficult thing because they, they quite often spend a lot of time by themselves and, uh, and, and it's all totally dependent on the weather. So if the weather's terrible, if there's floods or fires or drought, you know, that absolutely can stuff their whole livelihood. So I think, um, you know, and someone said to me once, you know, we've got to look after farmers because they are the ones who feed us. 
And I'd, I'd never heard it quite expressed like that. And, and, I, and I went, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, they are the ones, you know, we, we just take going to the supermarket and getting our food for granted, but it's got to come from somewhere. So, you know, they need to be looked after. And, and I guess one of the things that I really loved about speaking to farmers or any sort of uh, particularly blokey kind of community, like I've done a lot of work with professional sporting, you know, like the NRL in Australia or the police or the army or whoever. And, and what's quite funny is, is when they come in, they're all kind of like, got their arms folded and they've got their shoulders up and they go, oh, what the hell is this going to be about? And, and I guess through, again, the power of imagery and, and the power of storytelling, by the end of it, they go, oh, that wasn't so bad or that was quite interesting. And, and then uh, my, my, my greatest aim and the work that I do and the talks that I give is I just purely want to kickstart uh, an important conversation, yeah. um, you know, whether it's within the room or with their partners or their children because... Sadly, when people are going through depression or anxiety, it's not just about them, you know. It's not just about how it affects them. It's really the ripple of the pond that goes out and affects all the people, you know, their partners, their children, the people that they have to work with, you know. Um, so it's, it's really important that people get. And I think once people realise that it's actually quite common, uh, that it can actually be sort of nipped in the bud relatively quickly uh, if we take the right steps and talk to the right people, um, it's not so bad, you know. Um, it's just, uh, again, a lot to do with shame. And shame's yeah. a, shame and ego, I think, are the biggest uh, roadblocks to dealing with any kind of mental health issue. So are you, seeing, um, are you seeing that issue of isolation that you, you saw and you've nominated with, uh, regarding farmers? Are you yeah. seeing that sort of replicated because of the distancing and the, the remoteness of, of work at the moment that we this phase we're going through? Are you detecting, I know you're working with a whole range of groups at the moment, um, are you seeing those same sort of factors influencing uh, business people and, and just uh, general employees when they're disassociated from their work at the moment? Is that causing a, a similar sort of a, a stress level? Look, I'm, I, I'm getting a bit of a mixed bag on messaging around that. You know, some people uh, are loving it. You know, some people, I was just speaking to a woman this afternoon and, um, and she lives up in the mid-central coast and her commute into the city every day was four hours there and back. And so she's regained four hours of her every day, you know, and she's absolutely loving it and she's got more time for herself. She's exercising more. She's got, you know, um, seeing friends and family and kids and, and so I think, you know, on that level, it, it, it's kind of good. I think um, I personally, you know, I love going to meetings and catching up with people and brainstorming and hatching plans and, and uh, you know, delivering talks because one of the things that I love about doing talks is I get to go to places that I'd never go in my own steam and, um, you know, that I'd never probably go otherwise, uh, but I'm going there because, you know, and, and I get dropped into cultures or environments that I'd never typically go into. So I find that, you know, um, incredibly interesting and, and that, that's what really drives me. So I've, I've been truly missing that. But I guess, look, I think some people, I think in particular people who are doing business and they've got small children at home has been a real challenge. Um, some people I've heard have got more time for blue sky thinking, uh, being more efficient and more effective. And, and um, you know, I, I was doing some work with a video production company and he said he's restructuring his whole business because everyone's actually working more efficiently and better and more creatively than they were when they're all in the office, you know, so they had a big open plan office, you know, and, and uh, mm. so, you know, it's, I guess it's different strokes for different folks. You, how, how have you found it? Um, 
Look, you know, from from our perspective and, and the sort of clients that, that we're talking to at the moment um, and just with our own environment, I mean, we have a, a daily call with our various team members around the world um, every morning, uh, which we never used to do. So from our perspective, um, yeah, look, internally within our organisation um, in the various regions that we operate, it's actually enhanced the communication. And you're mm. right. I mean, I, I think it's been through a phase. So I think the initial phase was a bit of a bit of a shock and the uncertainty of, you know, when's all this going to go on till and what have you. But I think we got into a groove um, yep. and it's been the new norm for us um, is, is the level of communication. In various cities around the world, of course, for now we're allowed, um, where I happen to be at the moment in Dubai, 50% of staff are allowed back into the office, so we're in the office here today. Um, but we're just as just as good working from home, and it's a, it's project based. And of course, there's a lot of discussion around, you know, people being in a in a in a business or being producing for that business, no matter where they are. Our clients all around the world, are, again, mixed bag. Uh, a lot of people who are more self sufficient are quite happy to be working by themselves, are finding positive outcomes, more time with their children greater opportunity to, to get focused on things around the house, those sorts of things. Yeah. Others that are more gregarious, uh, much more so that they're missing that contact and people who relied on the business uh, that they're involved in for their communication and the, and the water cooler talks and, and going to play cricket or whatever afterwards after, after work, that, that it's a real mixed bag. So it's a real mixture. Yeah. And I, I guess... Sorry, go ahead. You were going to ask me something? No, I was, I was, no, I was just going to say we, we could put our house on the market at the moment because everything, garage is totally cleaned out, barbecue's immaculate, house <laughs> is perfect. <laughs> so yeah. we had a lot of time to do that sort of stuff. But totally, totally. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I was interested in, I mean, you you are a notable speaker. I know you're a pretty humble guy, um, but you, you speak all over the world. You haven't been traveling lately, I take it. <laughs> um, no. But... You know, you've, you've spoken at some of the biggest organisations around the world uh, in terms of motivational speaking and subject matter around your specialisation. What are some of the things that, that organisations reach out to you to come and speak to them about? Um, what, what's some of the, the more interesting subject matter that you get to talk about? Well, I guess, you know, I, I definitely try and stick within my realm of uh, expertise or understanding. Um, so I guess my key areas would be, you know, mental health, obviously, uh, resilience, uh, stress, uh, mindfulness. I've just been doing a thing called The Map, which is, um, uh, which is all about my own journey, you know, and how I got to do what I do. And, and um, so it's meaning, authenticity and purpose and a bit of gratitude. So... Um, Look, I think it's uh, different strokes for different folks, but what I've found is that, you know, we all differentiate ourselves by where we live and what we do or how much money we earn or the suburb we live in or the country we live in or whatever it is. And, and I guess at the end of the day, you know, when you really knock all down the bridges and the facades and the cars and the watches and the, you know, <laughs> look at me and get down to the nub of the internals, we all want the same thing. You know, we all want to have meaningful connections. We all want to have love in our lives. We all want to be you know, happy. Um, we want to live well. We want to grow old and and um, and have good mental and physical health. And I think you know, we all sort of deserve that on so many levels. And and I guess a lot of people 
don't know how to do that. And I think we're getting a lot better at it. Quite often people say to me, is mental health getting better or worse? And, um, and I'd say it's both. I think, you know, if you look at the statistics of people, people seeking help, it is definitely getting worse. But I think that in some ways is getting better because people are talking about it more and there is less shame, less stigma associated with it. So people um, are putting their hands up and, and getting the help they need. So, um, you know, it's it, it swings and roundabouts. But um, I, I think, you know, when I was in the peak of my uh, depression, when I was going through it in New York, um, there was no, uh, like we have here in Australia, like Beyond Blue or Black Dog Institute or the campaigns that the World Health Organization are doing. Um, there was none of that. You know, there was none of, uh, we've got a really amazing thing here called in Australia called Are You OK Day. Um, there was none of that, you know, and it was all just, it was a mystery, you know, and it was a psychologist or psychiatrist or someone who's behind a closed door and I've got no idea what they do. And, um, you know, so much shame associated with it. Now, if I was a president or prime minister of a country, I would make everyone go and have a bit of counselling because we've, we've all got stories, we've all got baggage, we've all got crap going on in our lives and that's just healthy, you know, it's just healthy because the movies we play on our minds are, are bigger than IMAX, are surround sound, you know, they're in 3D and a lot of them are horror stories. And, and I think we play out those movies in the isolation of our own minds and, and when we uh, put some subtext to them and we shine some light on them and give them some air and talk about them, they're not the scary movies that they thought were, you know, they were. So, um, yeah, it's just very important that we kind of have a bit of self-understanding and self-efficacy and, and um, emotional intelligence. So, so emotional intelligence is, is something from, you know, in the background of the part of our business, which is the executive search side, um, has been a major factor of, of what companies are looking for and leaders these days. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yes, sure, people have got to have the technical skills and the general industry experience, although I've got to say there's, in the current times, organisations are opening up to outside of, you know, round, round pegs and round holes to thinking, okay, what are the, what are the uh, transformational skills that I'm looking at? What are the emotional capabilities that I'm looking at in leaders that can take us through this really dynamic phase that we're now going through where, where a lot of modelling, business modelling has changed and the ways we do things, supply chains are changing, business structures are changing. Um, and we're running a series on, on, on all of that uh, in terms of business modelling and, and uh, corporate advisory and what have you. Uh, with another Australian-based uh, uh, specialist as well, Dom Rigo. Um, but from your perspective, you talk about the need for people to acknowledge and open up and communicate. Uh, I think that resonates with anybody who's honest with themselves and honest with those around them. Um, what are the tips from your perspective as to how people, if they have been closed, like many many people in the world are, are very hesitant, whether it be cultural or whether it would just be personal or national sort of hab habits of, of not being as open and as communicative as they need to be, um, what are some of the tips for you to start that journey for people who have got anxiety or they're stressed or they're depressed um, to one extreme or another along that spectrum? What should people start thinking about doing to, to reach out to, to change that situation? Well, I guess the question is, you know, I've put up with my black dog for probably nearly half my life. And just to give you a little background, my uh, oldest brother is a psychiatrist. My middle brother did uh, clinical psychology and my mother did art therapy. Wow. So, 
You, you'd think that I would know better. <laughs> you, you would. You should be a specialist. Hey, Matt, tell us a little, tell, tell the audience about the black dog just for a minute here because it is a, it's a fantastic uh, concept which, again, we, we might be happy to share um, the, the story of the black dog with people connected to this. But tell people about that black dog concept. Well, I've got to say firstly that people have said to me, what have you got against black dogs? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I love black dogs. Uh, but really, you know, and, and look, and, and to be totally honest with you, um, I didn't come up with the concept. It, it's actually been around since ancient times. You know, it was either a black dog or a black fog. And it's really just a metaphor um, around, you know, the fact that it will follow you, it will dog you. And, and it really, um, you know, Winston Churchill, you know, he talked about his black dog because he was quite famous for his depression. And, yeah. and the Black Dog Institute, which is um, part of the University of New South Wales here in Sydney, um, their logo is Winston Churchill's uh, V for Victory and the shadow of the hand is actually, um, I'm not doing a very oh. good dog shadow here, but is, is the dog. So it, it, it's about, you know, victory over adversity. And I think, um, so for me, it, it really is uh, something that if you don't take care of, if you don't uh, show discipline, if you don't show it compassion, if you don't embrace it, own it, you know, um, there, there was a picture that I did uh, years ago of of, um, of the black dog of, of of embracing it, which seems like the total opposite of what we should yeah. be doing. Because our natural reaction is to run away from it, is to shrink ourselves, or distract ourselves, or to gamble, or to you know fly around the country, whatever it is, you know, to, to do. Look at our phones, um, you know, and really, what we do need to do is we need to sit with it and own with it, and and because the sooner that we can accept. What is the sooner we can actually start to move through? And a big part of the problem is, again, that whole um, I'm a male, I'm the hunter-gatherer, um, you know, I'm speaking of my, you know, my business, my ego, what are people going to think of me, um, losing responsibilities and, and all these sort of things. And I think the sooner that we can, that's not to say that you should go on social media and go, hey, look at me, I'm depressed. It's really about finding the right context and the right help at the right time because right. that can make all the difference in the world. And as I like to say, there is no shame whatsoever in seeking help. The only shame is you're going to miss out on life. And, you know, I realise now life, you know, when we don't, not in the pandemic, you know, is, is, is pretty good. So, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's different strokes. You know, sadly, can, you know, we don't start looking, a lot of people don't look out for their heart until they've had a heart attack or they don't, you know, stop drinking until they've, got cirrhosis of the liver. So sometimes, sadly, we need to fall down before we realise what it's all about. Yeah, I hear what you're saying and, and very sage words, so really appreciate you sharing that. I, we've got a big business audience, obviously, uh, for these podcasts, and you talked about the issue of resilience before. Um, yep. Maybe a reflection from you on your view around um, some ideas about what business leaders should be doing right now in terms of we talk about the the economic issues, we talk about the business and, and commercial issues around business. What should leaders be doing to think about this whole issue of, of mental fitness and mental healthiness um, and, and the resilience that they should be, the issues they should be looking at in relationship to resilience of their business? How should, what things should they be looking out for in their business with their people um, who may be suffering from, you know, to one extent or another, mentally during this period? What, what are some of the things leaders should be thinking about? 
Well, look, to be honest with you, Kim, I'm, I'm not a, uh, an exec businessman, but I guess, you know, what I'd say to them is to, you know, take the pulse, the well-being pulse of uh, your company, the organisation that you're working for, um, talk to as many people as you can, <clears throat> listen to what's going on, because I think if you ask, people will tell you. Um, and I think, you know, um, it was really interesting. A, a couple of years ago, I went to do a talk for a mortgage broking company in Perth. And they had just gone through a major restructuring where they spent a lot of time and importance um, on the well-being of their people. And they basically, they didn't really put it to a vote, but they did a lot of roundtable workshops and they you know, said, you know, what do you want? And funnily enough, one of the first things uh, on the list was to get rid of business attire. So if you weren't uh, client-facing, you know, you could come to work, you know, uh, you know, smart, but, you know, relaxed. And, uh, and I just remember that really stood out for me. And I know that wouldn't be applicable to, to a lot of businesses, but it shifted the whole vibe and, and, and culture of the, of the place. Everyone was suddenly a bit more relaxed. Suddenly people could be a bit more expressive about who they were. Uh, they were happy about it. And the other things they brought in was, you know, uh, flexibility, um, working from home, obviously, um, and then they started bringing in, you know, things like, uh, you know, programs around mindfulness, uh, meditation, um, bringing people, teaching how to eat well because, you know, our diet can have a really big impact on how we feel. Uh, they brought in sleep specialists. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned before, there's no silver bullet. You know, there's no quick get out of jail free card. It, it, it's really a potpourri of, of, of all those things, you know, um, exercise groups. Um, so, look, I, I think, you know, if, if you're a really good proactive uh, CEO or, or business manager and you really care about your people, there, there's a lot of very small things that you can do. And, and, and to me, I keep saying it's not rocket science, you know. It, it's not that hard to make people feel appreciated that you are looking out for them and because, you know, a business or a workplace is only as good as the people that work for it. So, you know, if you, if you invest in them, they will uh, yeah. uh, return the favour, you know. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And you were talking earlier about this link between mental fitness and, and physical fitness. Um, <clears throat> big link, right, a lot of research around that, uh, linking those two. <clears throat> yeah, look, I, I, I did a talk years ago in a place, Byron Bay, which is a lovely um, beachside uh, area in New South Wales. And there was a guy there called Professor Rob Donovan, who was a, he's a senior lecturer in the University of Western Australia. And he did research around uh, the words mental health. And I don't know if you know this, Kim, but the words mental health were actually designed to soften the impact of mental health. So, you know, and, and so what he did was he, he was curious to think, see what people thought about these two words and so put it out into the research mill and what came back was really negative. So, you know, things like stigma, um, instability, madness, um, schizophrenia, um, bipolar, you know, depression, you know, all these labels and, and labels are, are, are very, very powerful things and, he, and they stick, you know, sadly. And um, so what he did was he tweaked um, the words mental health and he turned it into mentally healthy. And then he put that back into the research mill and what came back was genuinely really positive. So mentally healthy is exercising, it's eating well, it's um, sleep hygiene, it's uh, having a good conversation or uh, help seeking and um, or mindfulness, you know. 
And, uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of mental health institutions in Australia now that uh, speak a lot about being mentally healthy. And for me, you know, when I'm doing a talk, I always say, don't do as I did, do as I do. Because I think at the end of the day, you know, understanding, you know, statistics and, and mental health issues and, and the rates of depression and anxiety and suicide rates is important. But I still think that prevention is the greatest cure. You know, don't get there in the first place. You know, know the, know the signs, you know, know the symptoms. Uh, we, we, we have this amazing, um, you know, this is, comes back to the stress equation. You know, we have this amazing smoke alarm uh, within us or an air raid siren that alerts us that things aren't going well, but quite often we stuff pillows over it or we suppress it or we don't talk about it or we do avoidance activities and and, uh, and, and eventually it will find its way out. It'll express its, you know, it's a very sneaky thing and it'll express itself in other ways, whether it's a mental health issue or a physical health issue. So it's just really important to sort of listen more and, and, and change the direction as quickly as possible. Okay. Yeah, I... I I hear what you're saying in regards to that because you, what we're seeing more and more of our clients really focusing on surveys within organisations, um, making sure that, you know, if you take some of the tech companies in particular have been well known for, for many years and a lot of smart companies these days are providing that, that well-being and that wellness um, aspect to the work environment. And now, of course, yep. we've got a whole new game changer taking place where, uh, you know, we, we just opened up all the offices and put all these beanbags everywhere and had ma massively comfortable places with childcare facilities. And uh, now everybody's working from home. So um, now there's, a, there's another game change happening there again. Um, you were talking uh, about the issue of, uh, you know, the smoke alarm going off and, and things to look for. Um, if people are reasonably insular and not used to really uh, reacting and dealing with those sorts of issues and, and wanting to bring them to the surface, what, what's your recommendation? Where should they go? Who, who should they talk to? Is it, is it should they go to a specialist? Should they talk to the people closest to them? Um, what are the channels? Look, I, I'm a big believer of, um, you know, talk to your family or your, your nearest and dearest, but don't, you know, don't dump all your crap onto your friends and your, and your family. You know, I think that's what uh, professionals are for. Um, that's why they're there. That's, the, that's their expertise. And I think, you know, yes, by all means, tell people that you're not coping or, you know, but I guess um, back to that emotional intelligence, it's just sort of about, to me, you know, I suffered so incredibly for a long time because I wasn't being honest to myself and I, I didn't want to believe it. I thought that I was bigger than it, that I was faster than it, I was cleverer than it, that I could outrun it. And I kept self-sabotaging my life, my relationships, my work uh, because of it. And it was just a futile war. Um, Zygmunt Freud said, you know, having depression is like going to war with yourself. And, and that's exactly what I did, you know. And it wasn't until I, you know, fully embraced what it was and, and really owned it and, and really went, stuff you, I'm taking back my life. And I, and I really stood up to it and I, I actually got angry with it and I really, you know, I, I literally fought for my life. And it wasn't until that point that I kind of fully accepted what it is. Because as I mentioned before, I've got a family of academia who really understands this stuff. And, but again, it was that 
ego and, and being a guy that really got on the way and the industry that I was in that really got in the way of, of me sort of dealing with it. And it, and it took a long time. And I say, you don't need to do that. You know, there is, there is a really strong belief that, um, uh, well, the research actually shows that the majority of mental health issues like mild to moderate depression and anxiety has the highest recovery rate out of any comorbid disease that faces us as humans. Wow. And, and I only heard that last year and, uh, and I've been in the space since 2005 and I went, well, that's what needs to be sung from the rooftops, you know, because people quite often think this is a life sentence, you know. But the thing is if you have the right conversations, if you seek the help, if you make some small to minor changes in your life, like exercising more, uh, sleeping more, not spending so much time looking at the terrible news that you're on your phone, yeah. um, you know, practicing a bit of mindfulness, um, you know, all those sort of things that I've mentioned before, yeah. you know, we can get through it. Professor Gordon Parker, who started the Backlog Institute, he said if you do all those things, you can perhaps get you know, back to a level of normality within six to eight weeks, um, you know, which is, which is doable for most of us. So, look, you know, we've still got a lot of long way to go and getting these sort of communications out there, but it's just great that we're having chats like this, Kim. So, you know, this is, this is where you know, ideas happen. Awesome. Well, Matt, you, you know, you've made a major impact um, over many years in this, in this whole area of study and communication around stress, resilience, anxiety, depression right across the board not only in the APAC region but globally so so kudos to you I appreciate you the work that you've been doing um, really interested to see what you're going to be coming up with next because you you're you're an evolving story in terms of your thinking and your research and the work that you're delivering um, I know it's had massive massive effects and you know you're one one guy that I've one person that I've been speaking to that I know has saved a lot of lives so that's it's oh, thanks, probably mate. something you know that, that not everybody can lay claim to so but again really do appreciate your honesty I mean I think there wouldn't be an honest there wouldn't be a person who couldn't honestly say they can reflect either personally or somebody very very close to them that is experienced or is experiencing similar um, issues that you've yep. discussed and, and brought out into the table for us today. So uh, respect to your acknowledgement for that. Really do appreciate it. Um, thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Um, and I'm sure you join with me in thanking Matthew Johnson for, for what he's doing. Um, look forward to the new work coming out. Uh, thanks, everybody, for spending time with us. Again, traditionally, we, we offer our respect and our thanks to Everybody who's out on the front lines, um, the uh, the care workers, the the mental mental healthy workers, and it's a new word that we're yeah, using from now on. Mental healthy, never never again will I mention mental health. I promise. Uh, but to all the first responders, to everybody in the supply chain logistics world, uh, getting things back to where we want to get them in terms of activity across the world, making sure that everybody has got a positive outlook on life. Thanks, everybody. Uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. And thanks, Matt. Thanks, Kim. Thanks for having me, mate. Cheers, mate.